Welcome to the Indian Silicon Valley podcast. I'm your host Jivraj and on this podcast I speak with founders, investors and domain experts from the Indian Valley trying to understand the art of building a legendary company. In this episode I speak with Gaurav and Shashank, co-founders of Axio, previously known as Capital Float. Axio is unlocking credit for millions of Indians via the pay later model. Axio was started back in 2013 by two Stanford GSB graduates who met in the heart of Silicon Valley. They started off with the vision of unlocking credit for SMEs and after a resilient journey in that space moved to doing the same for millions of consumers. India has approximately 100 million e-commerce shoppers but only 30% or so have credit cards. The 70 million plus audience that does not is what forms the core of Axios target audience. Gaurav and Shashank have had an incredibly fascinating journey building a resilient organization that has stood the test of time and maintained the DNA of a truly enduring company. I chat with both of them as to how this journey has unfolded. Through an hour-long discussion, we uncover how Axios differentiates its approach. How Gaurav and Shashank met at Stanford and maintain a phenomenally strong co-founder model. The ideology behind the recent avatar change from Capital Flow to Axio, cultural traits that go behind building long-term organizations, and what happens behind the scenes when providing access to credit to millions in minutes. This episode is an absolute gem as it uncovers many tactical and fundamental frameworks while highlighting how shared responsibility. and strong founder dynamics can build enduring company i am certain that all of you listening shall have a great time but before we get started here is a quick word about our sponsor this episode of the indian silicon valley podcast is presented by stride ventures which is one of india's leading venture debt funds becoming synonymous with innovative startup financing in india stride ventures provides comprehensive solutions going beyond venture debt to cater to distinctive challenges faced by high growth and inherently strong businesses backed by leading institutions the fund has a portfolio of over 60 plus diversified companies having deployed more than 1500 crore rupees to date in just over 2 years stride ventures has emerged as the preferred venture debt lender in the indian ecosystem to know more about this phenomenal fund visit strideventures.in that is spelled as s t r i d e v e n t u r e s . i n and with that let's dive in to the 114th episode of the indian silicon valley podcast with gorov and shashank of axio thank you so much shashank and gorov for joining me super delighted to be doing this thanks jivraj excited thank to be on this Lovely to hear that, and I think uh, what's the best part about this is I- I've admired how well this partnership has come along between you and Gaurav, and it's been very interesting to observe that. And I want to start right there, given that we have the advantage of both of you here. If we can go back into time and revisit those stories of how you met, how this came together, and how Axio came into life, I think would be really helpful to know. So if you can take us back to that Stanford campus where you met, I think that'll be lovely. 
Sure, let's let's do that, right? So you already know the starting. So Shashank and I uh, were at Stanford together. We were doing our MBAs there before Stanford. I was running my family business in Bangalore for six, seven years, working in apparel manufacturing. Shashank was at McKinsey in in US and in the Middle East. Long story short, we were friends during first year of college. And in the second year, you know, we both decided, hey, we are kind of passionate about India. Let's go back. Let's start something. We both came from very different backgrounds. I bring a lot of India-centric operations background. Shashank brings a lot of the kind of global experience, strategy, etc. Right. So we said, hey, we make a good partnership. Let's go and start something in India. The funny thing is, we didn't, we had no idea what we wanted to start. Right. As you know, most founders start with a pain point. We didn't have a pain point. We were lucky enough that way, right? But we just knew that we were passionate and we wanted to build something in India and build something of scale. And so we actually, uh, in true McKinsey style, came up with a framework of things that we wanted to achieve in this journey, which was basically build a large business, not something that is lifestyle, build uh, something that could have an impact in India, and also build something that obviously would leverage technology. Even though none of us were kind of uh, uh, technologists, we we always kind of having spent time in the valley, understood technology at least to that extent. So. With this kind of three objectives, we actually spent time with a Stanford professor of ours and put down a whole host of ideas. I think almost forty, and I still have that list somewhere in my office where we went and said, "Let's look at each idea and see if they actually fill each of these three criteria." And that took us a journey for about six to twelve months. When we came back, fintech and lending was always one of them that was on the list. And after a process of elimination, we actually got to say, "Hey, let's start a lending business." So pretty uh, a very different story of starting a business from what you mostly see out there. Yeah, no, that that's awesome. I think uh, it's it's very interesting how you got started. And if I were to double click, right, like uh, this market approach versus problem first approach, right? How does that work? Uh, was there a sense of not having an organic feel to what you were solving for, right? Was that ever a concern? And how did you navigate it, if at all? So you know, we were a uh, most most startup stories are. problem there's a problem to solve and then a team comes together to solve it we were a team that came together looking for a problem to solve and so we actually started out with the team we said you look what are we good at and it so happened that each of us was good at what the other person was not and vice versa each of us liked what the other person didn't and vice versa so we said this is a pretty promising start to a partnership like let's kind of put down a set of north stars that gorum mentioned that you know motivate and drive us and we know we'll get our sort of bed every morning excited and let's take it from there and i think ultimately the what was at the core of that and right it was this desire to come back to india and be a part of building out the next phase of the india story we were in silicon valley there were tons of exciting ideas but they all felt kind of incremental uh, i think laundry apps were like the rage back then in at in, in san francisco um and here we were kind of seeing people building like the first e-commerce company the first riding hailing company right so there was this chance to build like foundational building blocks and that's what got us excited and i think when we looked at lending and financial services what the most motivating thing was the size of the gap right whichever way you slice and dice it it is probably after infrastructure the largest like economic gap in the country um, and i think gorav had seen a lot of this up close in his uh, manufacturing days seeing kind of supply chain finance and and retail and and all a lot of the financing pain points there i had seen it from a different lens of advising governments on kind of microfinance and micro health insurance and things like that and so we said look we may not have a specific area that we are naturally like passionate about but finance is a chance to play everywhere right it's a chance to actually help every sector in the country grow faster and that was was very exciting for us 
Got it, got it. I think that that's wonderful to hear. I, I mean, the fintech gap, it, it builds so much of the economy and, you know, the life of the country. And it's lovely to see both of you solving for it and how the journey has played out in the last 10 years. Just one quick question on that phase of the journey, right? When you were starting up, what were the influences that came from, you know, having been in the valley, right? The center of where the innovation was brewing and then having the very deliberate move to come back. Uh, what were the core learnings from the Stanford journey? If you can maybe share that as well i think that'll be super helpful yeah it, i think we both were very clear that we wanted to come back to india so while it was tempting to kind of stay back in the valley i think the reason for this partnership was both of us were kind of excited to build something in india so i don't think we that ever crossed our mind that we could stay back in the valley at all i think in terms of learnings right there are two types of learnings that i would say one was obviously you get to meet a lot of interesting folks in the valley a lot of entrepreneurs a lot of business owners who came and obviously spoke about their journeys and i think that was a starting point in terms of how we structured our partnership being equal co-founders from day one everything was done on a handshake right we actually had one of our professors there who said if you guys are not going to be equal co-founders both in kind of the equity that each of y'all hold this is going to be a disaster right from the start so that was a very important piece of advice that we got the second thing is just in terms of domain around 2013 you had a lot of interesting fintech lending companies that started to kind of mushroom back then right so the lending clubs the prospers what i would call wave one of fintech lending and these guys were able to do something very interesting in a very well credit uh, entrenched market like the us they were able to grow right and we said if that's going to happen there and how are these folks leveraging technology to do something and disrupt a traditional industry why couldn't we kind of do it here so we spent a lot of time understanding their models understanding how they kind of grew their business and started to see parallels and what we could actually do in india as well and you know jivraj i think another just to add to gorov right stanford is particularly focused on what i'll call the softer side of leadership right and there's actually a class called touchy feely that you might have heard about where you sit and talk about your feelings for 3 hours which is an interesting experience uh, and i think being in that environment kind of made things like culture or feedback kind of top of mind for us when we moved back and so even i remember when we had three people we were like we're going to have an offsite right you could those three people and we're actually going to like talk about what motivates us what drives us and i think that's something we've tried to maintain through the journey through all the twists and turns and it's a hard thing sometimes to do right especially when you go through a some amount of macro kind of turbulence as we we have over the last few years and i think having that kind of starting point of putting culture and interpersonal dynamics at par with strategy and business um has been kind of in some ways a parting gift i guess for us from our time in the valley being in india now Absolutely I can only imagine and I mean uh, I've heard both of you talk about you know the low attrition rates how the leadership has stuck behind and I think all of that is just testament to how that played out as well so I think incredibly important to hear taking a, another gear right and moving to you know maybe the 0 to 1 of axio and how that played out initially talk to us about this broad vision so I understand that okay you boiled down on fintech you knew that okay you want to simplify finance for you know a large amount of smes that was the first version of what you were doing and so how do you you know bring this to life because you are you know mba grads who don't come from the industry and want to build this out what was what was the zero to one for the journey like it's an interesting question right so i'll talk about the insight and i'll then talk about how it actually played out i think that the key insight for us that we began on was this idea of embedding credit into digital ecosystems that were growing fast and changing india's landscape and that was fairly fundamental at the time because credit until then had been a one by one affair 
bank set up branches you went and got customers each loan was a transaction but this idea of actually layering in credit into the key pillars of the the new economy and using these digital ecosystems as a way to both acquire customers get data control cash flow and then it rinse and repeat from e-commerce to travel to uh, local commerce was a pretty new idea at the time and i think it's still like we're still at maybe 1% of of the potential of that um and i think that's that's an insight that stayed true to us right it's it's where we started from mer- a merchant lending perspective it's where we ended up from a consumer financing perspective and today i mean the vast majority of the 5 million customers that we've acquired are really through partnerships with many of these large digital ecosystems and i think that's really shaped the dna of the company how it began it began with gorov and i sitting and saying we have to learn this business ourselves because we've never lent before right so it actually began with like going to customers collecting bank statements salary slips financial sitting down like on excel and keying it in um i remember our first loan app form was a website that we created it didn't really do anything it was just a way to upload things and we sat at the back and actually looked at everything right and i remember we actually ended up writing out the first few checks of the loans and handing it over to the customers and it was an awesome experience right i think we personally underwrote the first 200 loans in the company like ourselves uh, and and collected them and that was a that was for us very foundational in understanding the business and having giving due respect to the way a millennia old business is run it's very tempting as tech entrepreneurs to come in and say hey, i'm disrupting an old industry i'm going to think about everything from scratch right but the reality is there's a lot to learn from that old industry and it's only by learning how they do things that you can actually improve upon it and i think we've tried to stay true to that so that obviously was a big piece of how we got from 0 to 1 but even now as we think about going from 99 to 100 and then from 100 to 1000 into a million and beyond each time there's a quantum leap in the company we try and kind of go native and actually understand exactly like what makes it tick and encourage our team to be very granular to use your language as well and i think that that culture of problem solving by doing it yourself and not just looking at aggregates um or looking at things on a dashboard has been pretty helpful for us got it that's fascinating to know as to how you know the initial journey started and how far you've come talking about the transformation right so you moved from you know the sme side to the consumer side and i'm guessing that there was a transformation in terms of the dna as well as the speed at which you were executing right because you went from i mean if i'm not wrong some 1 and 1/2 million loans uh, were happening to the consumer side when the pandemic started driving so if you had to give us a flavor of what was the internal shift in terms of the mindset in terms of the opportunity and in terms of the execution when axio took shape in its current form as to lending to consumers i think that will be really helpful to understand gor yeah you know so so we were i think right from many years we were multi product right when we were doing sme we were also doing consumer we were doing you know self employed so it's not that we were only doing sme we, there were three four products and three four different customer segments that we were always doing i think you know when the ilfs crisis started to happen when covid started to happen demon started to happen as fintech entrepreneurs we've seen like five black swan events in five years we started to realize that you know at a company of our size we weren't obviously a bajaj or a data or hdfc bank right as a company of our size maybe we had gotten too ambitious too early on had 16 different products catering to four different types of customer segments and given that we were just kind of prune down uh, conserve resources and stay focused and build out one or two verticals and a couple of products and so that led us to a journey of saying hey what are we truly good at and where tech is actually playing a massive role and a massive differentiation and what we had started to see is that 
the entire checkout finance product our partnership with amazon which started about a year before covid uh, was something that was very very unique in the country where we were actually underwriting loans to consumers online within 3 seconds and no one else was doing that even till today most people don't do that and we said that okay this is a small piece of our business but we believe this has the most potential and if we really want to double down that's the area for us to double down so we took the hard decision in the early months of covid to completely kind of uh, uh, stop our assembly lending we do a small amount of it but it's not meaningful today at all and we said okay we are sitting at about maybe 200000 customers at the beginning of covid and as shashank mentioned that's 5 million today about 2 years in and so that bet really paid off and as we kind of started realizing that some of the muscles and the dna we built as an organization focusing on multi product focusing on sma in the early days was similar stuff that carried on and helped us in the consumer world so things like underwriting things like collections right people in the fancy world of fintech lending people forget the hard work dirty work of collections right a lot of this actually helped us kind of scale this consumer business from 200000 to 5 million and now we are adding almost a million every quarter these really helped us kind of play out so i would say there was a set of muscles that was needed and helped us transition from uh, what we were before covid to now and there were a new set of muscles that we had to develop which is around marketing around brand building which is very important in the consumer world and that really led us to the journey and the birth of axio because we felt capital flow to a large extent was very multi product probably more sme focused not the right brand from a consumer centric point of view and as we saw a lot of fintech lending brands coming into the country a lot of you know stuff with the chinese lending apps a lot of nonsense that is happening within the lending world we said we need to really differentiate ourselves and truly look at credit for what it is and how it can really help people win in life and so that was the birth of axio and axio means worthy in greek and we said let's really use this as our mission to really make an endeavor as to how do we make credit worthy for everyone rather than just looking at credit worthy people in this country got it no i think that's super powerful as a vision and it's super interesting to see the realignment that took place and you know the muscle that you'd built how that's carried forward and the results of course show interestingly enough on the qualitative side right without getting into the regulation bit i would love to understand how as founders you deal with uncertainty in a environment where externalities are plentiful right like i mean there's only so much you can do about things like those positive or negative right so covid can be considered a rather positive move for your business but there was be negative ones as well shashank if you had to add thoughts as to how founders navigate this uncertainty bit especially when it comes to externalities i would love to hear your thoughts no and we've had an education in that over the last 5 years right because uh, in a finance business is most closely tied to the macro economy and we've had a fund ride until recently i think as as a sector not and not and as a company as well so it's a very valid question look I'm not going to pretend that you know we had it all figured out right I think there were definitely periods where things took us by surprise and it took us time to respond right and I think one of the first learnings for us was you know what you do in that moment of the initial shock is very crucial if you take too long if you go into a shell if you um if you don't you know in some ways confront the problem and try and like you know sweep it under the carpet that has a ripple effect that can is can be quite damaging right to your team to your investors to your business overall So one of the things i think we tried to get good at is expect shocks you know hope for the plan, as i say plan for the worst hope for the best but also when things happen like respond quickly right and that doesn't mean having all the answers but it means tackling the problem or the situation up front which starts with very clear communication to your team saying hey guys this has happened like 
we're still figuring out what's going on but we want everyone to understand you know wh- how the macro environment has changed and how we as a company need to respond right it means having that clarity of communication externally right to investors to debt providers right who are a key who key kind of source of capital to us so i think just being you know communicating lavishly especially when there's uncertainty rather than waiting to have all the answers that's been a kind of a key learning for us as founders i think the second thing uh, for us has been you know just kind of at the same time while i talked about you know the need to react quickly from a communication perspective to not do a knee jerk reaction from a business perspective right covid was a classic example of something that seemed like a really bad crisis to begin with and then actually had many positive tailwinds coming out of it right and had we reacted too quickly we would have actually missed some of that right and so there i think and actually i'm going to i'm going to uh, kind of bring in the team here i think it's act for us it's actually been about having the right people in the org and the senior team who can in many ways be a check on us right because as founders you are eternally optimistic by nature you like to make decisions quickly and rather than trying to change your own fundamental dna we found it's far more powerful to have amazing people in the team who actually can kind of hold up that mirror to you and keep the conscience of the company in times like this right and actually say look have we thought this through right are we moving too quickly are we taking too much risk than we have actually budgeted for is this are we taking on too much cost that will not have a has an unclear roi and so for us in many ways building kind of a team of truth tellers to us who who have specific roles right and in in in, in doing this has been very very important and i think that also then only works if you also are if you role model being wrong right which maybe is a funny thing to say but what we found particularly in india is um you have to actively in your team solicit disagreement right particularly with you right so for us often it's meant like you know being extra proactive about admitting mistakes being extra proactive about acknowledging that we we got something wrong or we missed something because that actually encourages the team to be more open and to challenge us more often right and so that allows us to remain eternal optimists while ensure that the team has the right degree of paranoia at times like you described got it those are those are very interesting insights and that was an interesting segue from you know what we were chatting about but coming back to the point that you know you're at 5 million consumers growing very rapidly and there is of course a lot of conjecture in the ecosystem about how pay later model should play out right however without getting to macro in nature would love to know from you gorav or shank as to how you know there is a difference in the offering that you know axios trying to offer and when you look at the rest of the penetration we've all heard the numbers of you know credit only being available to less than 25 30 odd million out of the 100 million odd e-commerce uh, transacting users how does this get bridged when you're looking at the broader vision of you know worthy and, and axio i would love to know again on a practical level what this looks like and what the difference with axio and its model is yeah so you rightly mentioned jibraj the, the number one kind of market statistic that we look at is the 75 million shoppers who don't have a credit card that is our core segment today about 60 to 70% of the 5 million customers that we have don't have a credit card and that's really the customer base we are going after and the way we do it and why we believe that checkout finance or buy now pay later is the right way to do it is because when you partner with a lot of these online platforms you're able to start low and grow the reason people these people don't have a credit card because sometimes they don't have the right digital footprint they don't have the right credit bureau footprint right it may be difficult and costly to acquire them 
so you have to be able to do things in a in a manner where you can give them a 3000 rupee loan a 5000 rupee loan a 10000 rupee loan and grow with them to 50000 60000 or lakh within a 12 to 18 month time frame and we believe that's very difficult to do in a offline manner and very difficult to do if the product is a vanilla kind of personal loan or a term loan so this allows you to kind of acquire that customer it allows you to test the risk on that customer and it allows you to because you're partnering with a large e-commerce platforms you are actually lending to customers in across 12 to 14000 pin codes of the country and 80% of these pin codes probably don't even have a bank branch right so that is how you really rely and work with your partners to reach these sections of the country that are underpenetrated and about 50% of our customers don't bank with the private sector bank right they have a lot of public sector bank accounts which again means that in some sense they are kind of starved of digital credit our, our whole game has been to really find these customers who are digitally savvy uh, who are very credit hungry but acquire them uh, at a low cac and test their risk early on and then grow with them as their needs grow got it got it the other interesting part and i'm guessing that's a design challenge at axio is the stakeholders that you deal with and the diverse nature of them right considering that you have e-commerce partners you have a different consumer set you you've you know lent to smes before shashank if you had to give us you know any learnings in terms of effective stakeholder management especially considering a lot of empathy comes into play when you're doing this and that focus needs to be aligned for each of these partners in any way right it could be a banking partner it could be the distribution partner it could be your core consumer i would love to know how you compartmentalize and ensure this gets taken care of a uh, great question and as you correctly said we actually have three distinct set of customers right we have the platforms we have the the customer the users who come through there and we have the banks who deploy liquidity uh, through us and they're very different um, players so i think the first thing where our journey starts is actually figuring out what is the problem to solve rather than trying to take solutions looking for problems for the platform it's about increasing gmv but more fundamentally it's about increasing their tap and i won't go into the details of that but it, it starts with being very sharp for the problem and actually that starts by listening to the listening to the our, our merchant partners and understanding what's top of mind for them right and the 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 exam question could be very different for a healthcare partner than for an e-commerce partner and our endeavor then is to is to hear them out and be able to make the right customizations and then obviously and then give visibility to them back as to how the product is actually making a dent in that aspiration and then similarly with the customer gorav talked about it right the exam question is how do you actually create a credit ladder for them to be able to become more credit worthy over time for the banks the exam question is about how to be able to build retail assets at attractive economics and low risk and so i think as i said step 1 starts with understanding what's top of mind for them step 2 is then customizing the product to work and then step 3 is giving the visibility and the transparency right on how how it's working but a big piece of that that underlies all three things uh, is actually ensuring that the right champions within within our own organization and which is why i think we try we've tried to ensure that you know we are able to actually empower the next layer of the team and multiple layers beneath that to actually kind of be client facing and actually go out and be problem solvers for our part and i think creating that accountability at a team level so that it doesn't bottleneck at us right has been kind of a, a very crucial muscle to ensure they were able to manage very different stakeholders the other thing i'll, I'll tell you is dna right you you need different types of people to handle different types of stakeholders right the the team that has to talk to a bank is all about risk right and needs to have a granular understanding of risk right and that background could be very different it could be folks who come from 
another bank it could be folks who come from a data science background but they need to understand risk the team that needs to talk to a merchant is very much a team that comes with an e-commerce dna themselves to understand the pressure that a retailer faces and how do you step in and the team that has to deal with the customer has to start with empathy first and even within customers there are customers who are good and there are inevitably customers at default and so the team that deals with defaulting customers again have to have a different dna where they're able to blend rigor with empathy right we want to be fair and transparent in the way we collect but equally to run a sustainable business we have to be efficient and so each of these actually are different dna's different personalities and different backgrounds and i think one of the things that has been interesting for us to build is an organization that doesn't veer too far in one direction or the other right you end up with too many tech first people you lose sight of risk compliance and all the things that make you valuable to a liabilities partner you end up too much on the risk and liability and collection side you lose that customer centricity that partners like an amazon are famous for right and if you have these dnas in the organization how do you ensure that they can have a good fight but at the end of the day also make decisions and move quickly so i'm not saying we've cracked it but we've tried to be thoughtful about how you know construct this sort of mosaic of personality types and skill sets uh, within a relatively lean company that's lovely i think uh, i'm hearing a lot of clarity in terms of just like focus in the org being there to multiple stakeholders and while you can have the champion user and keep them you know be customer obsessed as they say you can't lose sight of the other stakeholder in the business and i love the last part and i'll double click on that in a minute but uh, before i mean we go to the team and culture part which i have reserved some amount of time for i'd love to know how when you speak about dual dna or multiple dna how has that evolved for the organization or both of you as founders especially because you know in india in the second leg we're seeing companies now scale so the infrastructure led is done we see a lot of companies with pmf but we're not really seeing real scale and we're getting to that point so as 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 axio scales how have you seen this journey evolve and what are some core learnings for scale uh, as young founders listen to you i think this would be a very crucial component so would love to know any learnings for scale yeah you know that's <laughs> we are still fighting that battle on a day to day basis right so while we have scaled a lot uh, i think we are still barely scratching the surface but few things that we have kind of put in place especially in the type of business that we operate in right is i think the first is uh, compliance regulation and kind of following letter and spirit of the law i think this is the most important thing uh, sometimes people tend to kind of lose sight of this it makes our jobs far more difficult it makes our jobs far more boring um, but uh, we have always kind of followed letter and spirit of the law of every law that the rbi or ministry of corporate affairs or finance ministry whoever kind of lays it out and in the finance world there's lots and lots of that uh, so i think setting those practices early on uh, when you when you start the company is most important Uh, so that's i would say the kind of foundation of ensuring that that layer is ready as and when you kind of scale the org the second uh, would be and i know you're talking a lot about team but i would say that would be the kind of second piece of the puzzle is to really what's the team that's really going to get you there and we've had uh, our own kind of iterations of that over the last many years there have been a lot of people who have grown within the company to cxo positions uh, and there have been people who we've kind of got from outside so I don't think there's a, a easy answer, but I, what we've realized is the mix of kind of folks who've grown within the org with folks who kind of come from outside is a is a good one uh, that's really helped us over the last few years. The third thing, honestly, is you know as you scale, uh, people talk a lot about kind of economics and and we've been living in a world of cashbacks and all of those things, but 
i think it's you know understanding unit economics from the day one sounds like apple pie motherhood statement and it, to be honest it took us also a lot of time for the first few years we truly did not understand what the unit economics of a loan are right how does a loan go bad what is the npa going to look like what is collections cost what is uh, you know uh, how a loan amortizes over the uh, two or three year kind of lifetime these are things that are very important to know and because probably we did not come from the industry it took us a while to learn that so if any founder out there starting something is understand the unit economics right from day one you may not achieve the desired economics early on but at least understand how it works and you will save yourself a lot of time and heartburn uh, which we had to kind of live through and and the fourth is obviously is you know having the right mentorship which is uh, you know again sounds easy to have the right board of investors and an independent chairman etc sometimes this again just looks like an hygiene factor but having lived through a bunch of macro crises our own kind of internal crises to some extent we had a few uh, investors who were also turned out to be excellent mentors uh, who you know actually walked the talk with us and helped us in day to day kind of sometimes execution helped us in strategy level kind of discussions at some points in time but were always there when we need to just pick up a phone and thrash out issues and i think people should not take that for granted because even today we rely on some of these people uh, to kind of help us kind of think through things and i don't think any founder can say that they know everything they want to know everything but i don't think anyone can say that and having people having relying on people that have done this before gives you a sense of comfort at the end of the day got it i think that's fair and what i'm hearing is a lot of hygiene fundamental factors which can seem easy on the surface but are difficult to practice over time consistently and i think that goes to show that you have to have the scale mindset from day one so a lovely to have that reiterated gorav i think as we move forward i would love to spend some dedicated time to how you gone about building team and culture especially because when i was researching for this episode what stood out was that attrition rates at uh, axio have been super low there's been a lot of leaders who have been homegrown right in the organization itself they've stayed for a long amount of time and you've emphasized a lot on gathering and bringing a plus talent giving them an environment to thrive upon right uh, having said all of that and built context would love to know from the both of you as to what are the guardrails to establish this especially in a world of clutter right because i mean it's very easy to pseudo have a great talent but not have it in practice and what does it mean to build this over time because young talent seems to uh, you know hop places we see all of this jargon around salaries what not how do you build the right fundamentals there in what is the level of focus in the organization on this and how do you breed leaders uh, i know there's a long winded answer but would love a very fresh candid thoughts on it it's a great question i'll, I'll make an attempt at this but it's a, it's obviously a work in progress right but you know you mentioned longevity uh, we recently had an offsite and we had about 100 folks attend in, in managerial positions and leadership positions and i think we just asked out of curiosity how many people have been around for more than 5 years and 60% put up their hand and i think that's actually a stat that that we are very proud of and we are as proud as the 40% who have come in and shaken a lot of things up over the last one year um you know honestly if i step back there are three main i would say kind of principles that we have tried to build our culture on the first is growth we want to be a place where people can come in irrespective of work experience age background and accelerate based on their ability and that again sounds like a very very obvious thing which is incredibly hard to implement especially in india where we have 
where the entropy of of organizations tends to veer towards hierarchy maybe culturally or historically or for whatever reason and so you mentioned kind of homegrown leaders right i think we are very proud of the fact that we have today a whole set of leaders who literally started out at the ground floor and i think it some of that happened by luck but i think some of it has also been a conscious call to accelerate folks give them more than they can chew on if they show any aptitude for it and really kind of make space right sometimes the hardest thing in an org is if you overhire people don't have space to grow right you need like a like a plant or a tree you need that empty space to grow into and some people do and some people don't but when they do you have to then be there with not just to reward that growth but also to coach because a wild west environment doesn't necessarily it can look very exciting from a growth perspective but actually creates an environment for failure because people don't have the right coaching and mentorship to make those big jumps in their career right so creating a culture where people can grow and accelerate uh, based on their merit and irrespective of anything else has been kind of a key tenet of us and as i said i think it's something we've actually been able to prove out if you look at the the org chart today i think a second key principle for us is empathy and again it sounds obvious but like the number of people i we find in the startup space who leave jobs not because they got a better pay or a better hike but just because they were burnt out or they felt things were getting too political is really high right and we were our own phases in our own journey where perhaps we've not managed these tensions well within the organization right and so we firm like really believe that at the end of the day people want decency honesty fairness the ability to have an open conversation not have to deal with politics these are things like you can't put a price on and so we've tried to kind of build that to the greatest extent possible and here i will give due credit to our team right i think the team our team has evolved in a way where they've consciously each time hierarchy or politics have crept in they've sought to kind of push it away and break it down right and so at the end of the day i think one of the things that that that, that we feel quite proud of is it's it's, it's a you know with the one word that i think a lot of people would use for us if they worked here is fair right and i think that's that's an that's an important tenet because people want to feel like they're getting their fair share whether they do well or whether they don't do well but they want to feel like an organization treats with them directly and that there is a recognition of things and things aren't swept under the carpet so i think empathy is just a very key principle for us and the third one is grit and this is not something you hear often in a culture discussion right but ours is a business where you live and die on the battlefield right lending is not about sitting and looking at dashboards it's about rolling up your sleeves and actually figuring out how to solve risk how to manage a tricky collection situation how to ensure that the funnel is working at a partner and fixing it in the middle of the night right and inevitably unlike maybe other businesses it's cyclical so just as times will be good times will be bad and again times will be good again and so having people who have who are basically gritty in their dna who when things are going well are like it's great but what what could be wrong going wrong and at the same time having people who when things are really bad saying it's okay like it's going to get better that for us is a is a is a kind of gold when we look to hire or look to retain people right it's that you know i think there was a poem of you know treating triumph and disaster and both those imposters just the same right so i think having having a team that has that sense of equanimity and balance but also is able to dig in when things get tough and even when things don't get tough believe that digging in is the right way to play that's existential to our business got it i uh, amazing i think uh, all of those three fundamental pillars are 
very very crucial and, and i think i am loving this line of thought where a lot of these ideas are not reinventing the wheel but the practice of it is just so important and that's what i am hearing and loving so great to hear that it's just going a bit unconventional and what does not get spoken of enough when it comes to team culture is the art of when it goes wrong right uh, so when you know when a team member does not fit in very well or when you have to let somebody go uh, because i think there was a statistic that most founders feel that uh, you know they've not fired right or they've not let people go right if you had any thoughts around you know what happens when things go wrong and what can you do in an environment where things have not worked out well in terms of hiring or talent or culture uh, or what's the recourse action then that'd be an interesting perspective to hear yeah i'll tell you we made a lot of those mistakes we have typically taken too long uh, to let people go when we feel that the fit is not there but what we've learned from that is every subsequent time that we've actually made it shorter and shorter so we are getting better at it i don't think it's fair to hold any founder to say that you have to kind of let a person go very quickly once you realize that the fit is not there once you hire a person especially at senior levels it's a lot of emotional investment uh, that goes in and you start to question yourself as to what did you do wrong and why did you kind of bring on this person is there something you can do to course correct can you kind of fix it this person came from such a large organization did such great stuff there why are they not working out here you end up spending months in this debate and that is a problem i'll be very candid that we've had here as well it's taken us too long but like i said that's something that we are learning and i think the only thing that we can say to fellow founders or young founders is don't be too hard on yourself on this right it's it's going to happen but as long as with every subsequent kind of mistake you made you kind of get better and quicker at it because you're going to make mistakes and even now i'm going to say there are going to be many such mistakes we'll make in the next few years but we just have to kind of hold ourselves that are we getting better at it you're not going to be amazing at it but just keep making sure at least subsequent to what you've done in the past you can kind of are always moving forward got it got it i love the candidness there and always good to know that it's a work in progress but those are very very important aspects i think as we go further towards the end of the conversation one thing that i'd love to circle back on is the you know rebranding aspect and not the what of it we now know that you know capital fruit has a new avatar which is axio that's the front facing product for the consumers but want to understand the you know team alignment to bring back focus and you know have that long term thinking right because if a organization and if i'm not wrong 8 years into is rebranding themselves there must be a very very large vision and mission to it and the long term thinking is only something that we can imagine as consumers if you can talk to some of about this softer aspects of the rebranding right the long term focus the large opportunity the fact that uh, you know there's a public company someday down the line how how does that get aligned and how do you bring that into practice internally this uh, externally i uh, would love to know that out of curiosity yeah it's a great question right so i'll start with the why and then the how we are trying to implement it right so this absolutely was a purpose led rebrand right and i think the reason for that is what we found is everyone that comes back to india to launch a fintech business starts with the desire to make financial inclusion happen and somewhere along the way it's very easy to get mired in the day to day and it starts to feel like a transactional business because you're doing transactions but credit is actually like it's a it's a power tool right it's like a superpower when you give someone right you're actually moving money forward in time and just as it can transform people's lives it can also have asymmetric downside and if not handled well and if that happens multiple times the magnified impact of that is what we saw in 2008 in the us or 2018 in india right post the ilfs crisis and then you end up in this downward spiral where everyone says ah you know credit is bad credit is bad and then we you know we we kind of step back as an economy and we 
we lose this idea of credit being a polarity right when what i mean by that is it's not an either or choice it's an and right like yes credit can be very powerful and is needed for the economy to grow at 9% for the next 20 years and yes it can be a negative death spiral that can actually cause people to lose livelihoods and suffer how do you find the balance between these two and how do you and 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 how do you actually make navigating that balance core to your organization which is how you know as we introspected because the idea was not for this rebrand to be a new coat of paint right we actually wanted it to mean something fundamentally uh we kind of went back to what we've been doing over the last few years and we said look what has been a consistent a theme a philosophy that has underlined all our major des- design des- choices right the choice to be regulated on day one the choice to price lower than many of our competitors right the choice to focus on risk the choice to a focus on customers who are non prime not customers who are prime even though that's easier to do i think the common theme was this desire to make credit a force for good so we said look if that's implicit let's make it explicit and put it at the heart of the organization's mission which is making credit good right making credit worthy for all and so we set out then as an organization not just to give a bunch of loans but to actually change the narrative and practice around how credit is done and if we can actually make a dent in that we can contribute to a larger uh, trend of credit starting to actually become a multiplier effect for india's economy to grow right so that was kind of the the vision behind it right? now that sounds great right what does that actually mean so what we've been doing now over the last few months is saying how do we make credit good at every level of the organization the obvious place you start is customer facing functions right you start with customer service you start with ui ux you start with product you start with the app right one of the things that we are super excited about is for the first time in india on a single app someone will be able to finance a purchase of a mobile phone and at the same time set a budget for the next 6 months so that they remain like on track right that combination of financial discipline as well as financial extension has actually never been put together in a single customer journey in india before and that's why bringing walnut and capital flow together under axio was such a fundamental change for us right but it's not just about the front it's also about the back right how does operations make credit good how does underwriting make credit good right because because credit is a power tool you can't just say it's it's all down to the customer we as a provider need to actually give the customer the a limit or a, or, a, or an exposure that is actually bite sized enough so that they don't end up in a debt spiral right so sometimes that means saying no to a customer or actually disappointing a customer and that's the right way to serve that customer which is very counterintuitive in the world of tech so you have to instill that dna in your risk team how do you make credit good in collections right i mean the the, the general thing the idea with collections is you know you're going out and you're getting loans back and these are all like you know like hard nosed people doing it but actually that's not what we're trying to build here right because the reality is 90% of people who are late on a payment end up paying it there's just some genuine issue that comes in the way right so how do you build empathy into your collections so that people don't end up paying late fees people end up not spoiling their credit bureau score and you're giving them the right and you're also kind of recognizing that sometimes life isn't you know always linear and you're giving them the right amount of flex to adapt to unexpected changes in their life but at the same time you're very strict with people who are willful defaulters because if the if the if the good customers aren't rewarded right and the bad customers don't have a stick then you ended up in a non meritocratic situation where you know why why do i pay back on time so collections is to balance empathy with rigor has to balance kindness with strictness 
and making credit good is a totally different ball game in collection so i guess the, the what the journey that we are going through now is literally going through every single function in the back office middle office front office and saying how do we make credit good and it's not something we're going to succeed on day one we are going to fall short multiple times doing it we may always fall short in the long run but it becomes the north star for the org to shoot for and hopefully becomes the north star for credit in this country as well awesome i think that's that's super reassuring and heartfelt i i'd say because it it personifies what it means to build a mission centric organization and build for the long term in the truest sense of it and i think uh, a live example of it is very very reassuring i think this has been fantastic i think uh, as we go on to the you know concluding aspects i have one last question on the business model post which i'll have a series of uh, last questions when we talk about you know lending as a business right or pay later in the model that you have there's so much data and analytics that goes behind in the background there's so much operations there's a large collections team i'm sure if you had to maybe just give us a very quick flavor of things that a consumer does not see but a business has to do incredibly well to keep the machinery running uh, i think that would be a very interesting inside view of what goes on at axio and that could give us a great picture and build empathy for the business maybe uh, do it the other way around sure so let me i'll give you one example of it right so let's say you are shopping on a platform let's call it amazon or make my trip when you go there and you are searching for a buy now pay later option or a checkout finance option you almost expect that you will get approved and you will get approved within 3 to 5 seconds now what is happening in that 3 seconds we have to get data from four or five different sources from the bureau from rbi defaulters list from our partner from our own internal kind of uh, uh, you know data sources that can estimate income all these five are coming together in real time and telling you while you're actually checking out on a very high frequency platform that hey you are approved and you'll be saying it is within 3 seconds at the same time the partner expects that at least 70 to 80% of their customers you are approving so it's easy to just say no to everybody and then you're still able to give the 3 seconds but no you have to approve 70% of the people within 3 seconds and then guess what two months later when they pay make sure that 95% of them are actually paying back so this trifecta of a high approval rate a great customer experience and the ability to collect from 95 to 97% of the people 30 to 45 days later is actually the in some ways the secret sauce of managing this business and all this has to happen in real time so there's a lot of computing power to be able to underwrite the customer then i would say there's a lot of kind of brain power and muscle power to kind of make sure that we are actually able to see the customer through the journey as shashank said with empathy and make sure they actually kind of pay back their loans and finally what is the cost that kind of add up to making each loan and making sure it is actually sustainable right so there is a lot that the customer doesn't see and the the second example of this would be is they are shopping for example again on these large platforms and for whatever reason they need to cancel a product right at that point then you have to go to amazon they have to work with us it's not like a simple credit card where they just kind of cancel and there's the there's a kind of central network where all this is processed so there's when you cancel something that you bought through a buy now pay later there's a lot of kind of back and forth that our systems and amazon systems for example are talking to each other in real time so that you as a customer uh, don't face any grievance because you've taken a product on credit and actually cancelled it a few minutes later right so these are all i would say like a duck almost where the surface seems very easy and calm but there's a lot of 
leg fluttering that's happening below the water and you know i'll add a number to what gorov said if you cancel on upi or a credit card transaction the average refund time is anywhere from 48 hours to a week if you cancel on our product the average refund time is a second that that's that's phenomenal i think uh, this could make for a, another episode altogether but it just brings so much empathy to what happens in the background to build a machinery that can deliver such high performance and efficiency and i think that's wonderful to hear great cues there i think this has been super fun and very insightful as we bring this to a close i have just a final couple of uh, uh, persona questions these are the set of similar questions that i ask most founders who've been on the show but i think the first one there uh, and either of you can go but uh, the personal evolution journey of founders often gets missed i can look at an axio and be like okay this is the scale at which it reached and i can you know effectively quantitatively tell you that this is how far it's come uh, but for founders that's not a cue right it, it's almost always very qualitative in nature if you had to just give us insights to what this has meant in the last 8 uh, 10 years of building this how has the founder journey evolved for you and what it has done personally on the qualitative side for you as individuals i think that would be heartening to hear and just builds empathy for how challenging or uh, for the lack of a better word the founder journey is sure i'll give you i'll give you my example uh, which i've used a few times but you know the last few years have been hard like i said because of multiple macro crises etc and one thing that we've had to do is we've had to show up to work motivated excited ready to go and ready to rally the troops no matter how bad um, the days became right i think through that journey of sustaining and enduring uh, in that process i became an endurance athlete myself so i actually went from being some sort of a couch potato and managing and solving stress by just sitting on uh, the couch watching tv and kind of eating a packet of chips to now actually every every 6 months i do like an ironman triathlon and i think that actually has helped me both ways right so the learnings from work helps me to kind of make sure i'm able to race and kind of take my learnings and apply them there but more important is the other way around i think having done a few of these extremely difficult uh, endurance events the discipline that it needs the focus that it needs has actually helped me be a lot more focused productive at work and even when things are going bad kind of managing to perspective that this this game is still just getting started and just keep pushing keep keep working and you ultimately kind of reach the finish line i i think gorov's gorov's endurance sort of uh, adventures have been an inspiration right and i think absolutely for i think for me personally um just being able to kind of keep pushing but also start like use the team for inspiration right i think that's been a big thing sometimes like it's it's not always easy to find it from within but coming to the office meeting the team meeting like a young product manager who's like figured something out that no one else could figure out that has been a huge source of energy for me and so ensuring that like i can create this two way energy flow um has been very valuable and creating the space for others to energize me as well right often as a founder you feel your job is to show up and like dazzle and you know talk and then leave but actually i found that showing up and listening and drawing from others energy is as rewarding and sometimes the best way to recharge and it has the added benefit of making the culture more open as well for everyone to contribute and be a leader Got it. Fair enough. Endurance and taking inspiration from team. Those are my cues there. The second last question, I think uh, what's interesting is that as a founder and, you know, co-founders, I'm sure there's a lot of shared responsibility. There's a lot of functions uh, apart from, you know, just managing the or this admin, this legal, this fundraising, whatnot, right? Uh, I would love to understand if you, I, I know balance is an overused word, but if you have a balance between 
how much of this is execution how much of this is self reflection how much of this is this intake of information right between all of the things that you have to do how do you maintain a balance on the qualitative side of figuring out things uh, that's a interesting design challenge that each founder differently navigates would love to know what both of you do to manage it so you know um, i'm going to talk a bit about how we we work together right because i think as a as, as a co-founding team that that becomes a probably a, a very interesting challenge you know, aside from how you prioritize yourself and i think you know over the years we've had we've iterated at how we divide up responsibilities how we motivate each other how we both independently focus and come back together to collaborate and i think the over time the one thing that's really worked is to actually focus on each person's kind of zone of genius right as they call it and i think what we've realized over time is it just when we when we each do what we're best at and leave the other person to excel at what they do best the org functions at its peak as well and i think it's 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 taken us some a few iterations to really get to that level of clarity um but it's been it's also a huge support because it also means that we're kind of fungible for each other if one of us needs is taking personal time the other one is is able to step in and do everything and vice versa the team is able to have two people to relate to rather than a single point of failure so i think kind of being able to both allo- allocate and reallocate between ourselves in a way that makes each of us happy and do our best work but then also be able to kind of step in for the other easily that's been a core muscle that that i think we've we've tried to build over time and i think the other big one has been you know just moving past the optics of stuff right i think earlier on when you're building something and it's scaling and is doing really well you know there's pr there's this and that and after a while you realize that this is all kind of in a sense extraneous and you want to actually focus on what matters and so i think one of the things that i think both of us have also become better at is really being able to tune out the noise um and focus on you know what what's really matters in the business and you know keep ourselves honest on it right when someone else is sort of disturbed by a piece of news the other person kind of grounds like if i am like that god will ground me back and be like hey let's focus we have to do this so i think just being able to ground each other has been a good learning over time Super. That's lovely to hear. Anything that Gaurav you'd like to add? No, you know, I I think I sometimes joke and say that you know Shashank's the brain of the organization. I'm the brawn of the organization, and I think that kind of goes to as Shashank mentioned, what our skill sets are, right? But I think it also we having worked with each other now for so many years. I think we've learned from each other as to how to play the other person's role, at least to some extent. Obviously, we'll not be as good at it, but I think that learning has been has been very very kind of useful. in in understanding where the other person is coming from and also kind of creating some sort of balance within the org so i think that's been super kind of beneficial in having a, a co-founder where you can actually learn and absorb that right? and and i always wonder given that the journey is always filled with ups and downs i am always sometimes in awe of single founder companies as to how do they do it right because sometimes you just want to pick up the phone and start yelling and just start venting and i don't know how a single founder person actually does that right so it's i mean i give them credit for that but it's a hard journey yeah yeah no for sure and i think it's so heartening to know what a strong fundamental co-founder relationship can do to a you know thriving business as they say and build a organization truly for the long term so i think it's just lovely to hear these uh, nuggets of learnings and how both of you have come together such a long way and hopefully there's more to come as we as we end this and i mean this has been fantastic uh, i love ending with the stereotypical one which is to say that yeah given that uh, 
you know, we empathize with what founders do. And it's incredible how non-linear companies get built. But of course, at the expense of incredibly challenging environments, if you had to give us a flavor of what the core motivation remains to date after such a long journey and what remains to be followed and how do you keep at it every single day? Uh, that's the long and short of it. But as multiple founders or future founders listen to this, if they had to keep one thing in mind before starting a company, and if that was what motivates you to keep running yours, I think that would bring us to a great close. So yes, would love an answer on both of your lens to this one. Sure. So, you know, I think for me, it's, it's, it's actually being able to look at life on two very different levels. The first is a 50,000 foot view, which is all about impact. If we are actually making a difference in the lives of people, which was if you remember one of our three tenets when Gaurav and I were whiteboarding at Stanford, that is like a huge motivation to get out of bed every morning. And the great thing in this business is you actually see that, right? We actually see people who have taken a loan to run, to kind of set up their, their business. We see people who have taken a loan to finance a fridge for their parent. We see people who have bought you know, a, a workstation to be able to continue to do their PhD from home during lockdown and COVID and thanked us for helping her get through it. So it's, it's, you, you get this real-time feedback and having that sense of impact, like at a, at a, at a macro countrywide level is super motivating, right? And which is why having a, a purpose-led company for us is almost a necessity to keep going, right? As founders. Equally, every day is not like, super cool and impact filled, right? There are some really mundane days. There are hard days where you have zero impact. And so there being able to go to like the five foot level and focus on a thing, but just do it really, really well. That is a huge motivation for me, right? Even if it's a small thing, like, Hey, we're going to build this one feature in an app, but it's going to be the best feature we can build, right? Or we're going to make a presentation to the board and it's going to be the best presentation we could make on that topic. Achieving that level of excellence is something really micro. Um, is also extremely fulfilling. And I think I think for me, it's uh, it's about being able to kind of balance these two forms of fulfillment in, in across 365 days of the year that really keeps me going. Super, super. Gaurav? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, again, just in, in complete honesty, you know, when we, when we started this business, uh, like many founders, everyone wants to become a unicorn, right? And wants to become a unicorn in the next 12 months, 18 months, 24 months. But as we've kind of grown in this business and, and, and seen a lot of businesses around us and kudos to every unicorn out there. But what is actually starting to become more important is really what's the longevity of the business, right? Is this business going to be around for another 20 years, 30 years? Is it going to be sustainable? Can we list this on the public market? Can we have millions and millions and millions of customers, right? I think these are the metrics that are now creating and motivating us to kind of show up to work each day. And not to say that the other metrics are not, but like just building a long-term sustainable business that outlives us is probably the number one kind of driving factor, at least today. Now that may or may not change, but like as we stand today, that's something that keeps me motivated on a daily basis. Awesome. Awesome. I think this is wonderful. I think uh, we've covered a lot of ground today in terms of how, you know, Axio came into being, how both of you met and how Axio will continue doing really well with the granular insights of how to build a financial services company at scale. Thank you so much, Shashank and Gaurav for your time. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I hope it was a pleasure for you both as well. Thanks, Shivraj. It was great, great, to, great to be in this conversation. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having us here. Awesome. With that, we come to the end of this conversation. Thank you so much for tuning in to the episode. 
I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you're finding value with the podcast, do follow it on the audio streaming platform of your choice, drop in a review and subscribe to our WhatsApp newsletter to get all the updates directly on your inbox. Thanks again. I will see you next week for another episode. Till then, I hope you record. If you never try, you'll never know. Stay tuned and keep building.